You know, John chapter 4 is where our text is going to be found that we're going to be looking at today. And there we see the second of seven signs that John gives in his writing of the Gospel of John that highlights who Jesus is. These seven miracles really can be identified as clues. They're kind of a glimpse into the reality of who Jesus is and giving, giving us a picture of, of who he is and what God wants to be and Jesus wants to be for us. The Bible in the New Testament has four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each Gospel is almost like a different camera lens into the life of Jesus. They're seeing similar stories from a different angle, all different, providing different experiences and different viewpoints. And each Gospel was written to a different audience, which kind of highlights why different Gospels focused on different things about the different stories. And the purpose of the Gospel of John is for us to see who Jesus is as the Son of the living God and who he is to us and who we are in him. So I think the most important question for us to wrestle with and deal with as we kind of prepare our hearts and our minds for the message today is do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God and are you willing to follow him? Those are the most important questions you will ever have to wrestle with in your entire life. And that's what kind of John gets into with these seven clues, these seven miracles that highlights him, that highlights Jesus. You know, John wrote the, the gospel here that, that walked through Jesus' life. And John was one of the 12 disciples. You know, if you follow Jesus' story, you'll see that there was around 500 people, disciples, that walked with Jesus and that were with him a lot of the time. And then of those 500, there were 12 disciples who were with Jesus regularly every day throughout his ministry journey. And of those 12, Jesus called three of those disciples who had an intimate, more firsthand view of the reality of Jesus in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, who got a bigger glimpse of God's glory radiating through this man, Jesus. And John was one of those three. And so John kind of took all of his experiences and what he saw to just give us a small glimpse of the reality of Jesus and who he is. Last week, we looked at the first miracle that John highlights, the first clue into the reality of Jesus and his glory, and that was turning the water into wine. And today, we're going to see the second sign, the second miracle, the second clue and glimpse into Jesus' life, which reveals a strange gift, and that's the gift of rejection. And I think we all, at times, in our life, have dealt with rejection. Every one of us has experienced rejection at some point in our journey. The taste of disappointment, being picked over, being looked over or forgotten, or maybe other people just looking the other way. And when we feel like we've been rejected, it hurts and it beats us down. But maybe, just maybe, that rejection might be God handing you a gift. With that in the back of our minds, let's read today's text that's found in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. 
Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed while he was still on his way. And his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed that this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Rejection. That's a difficult thing to deal with and to wrestle with. You know, throughout my life, there's many times as I look back at the story of Bill and I see the rejections that I experienced. I was in seventh grade and it was at eighth grade on Valentine, after eighth period on Valentine's Day when I went to ask this girl if she would be my girlfriend. And she said, yes. Can you believe it? Bill had a girlfriend. It's crazy. Yeah, that's right. And so I was all excited because that night was the Valentine's Day dance. And so after I left school, I ran straight to the Hallmark store. I, I bought this nice little teddy bear to give her at the Valentine's Day dance because I've never had a girl to dance with at a dance before. It was unbelievable. And I ran there back to the dance. I was all excited that evening. I found her at the, in the, in where the dance was. And I was walking over to give her the teddy bear. And I saw her face just kind of go to gloom. She said, oh, you shouldn't have done that. I go, no, well, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I just ran to the Hallmark store. I mean, it was just a few bucks. I mean, it didn't cost me a lot. She goes, no, it's not going to work out. It's not you, it's me. That's the dumbest line in the history books, isn't it? And she dumped me right there. That's probably, in the history of mankind, the shortest dating relationship ever. That was me. And over the course of my life, I just saw in relationships rejection and rejection and rejection. And so often I was trying to find out where do I belong? Who am I supposed to be with? What, what's my life supposed to be? And then God, God brought into my life this amazing person. Her name is Shelly. And she was and is the bomb diggity. That's right. To put up with me, you have to be the bomb diggity. And she is. Yeah, you guys are. Sorry, I'm going to come down to And it's truly amazing. But all through those rejections, God was showing, I have something better for you. Bigger for you than you could ever imagine. And I think we wrestle with rejections all throughout life. Whether it's relationships, whether it's in school, in work, on the sport field, in the choir room, wherever it is, we face rejection all the time, don't we? But as we journey through rejection... For me and my life, rejection taught me stuff. You see, throughout my rejections in life, it helped me find what my true motivation really is. Rejections in my life helped me to find who I am and what I'm truly good at and what I'm not good at. Rejections in my life has led me to God's gifting and to his direction for me and in my life. 
You see, my friends, what I'm trying to kind of lay the groundwork for you to see today is that what I've found in my journey through my directions is that one sort of rejection can actually become an invitation to the life that God has been building for you to live. And I know that's hard to swallow, and that's hard to see, and it's hard to, to grab a hold of. But what if the rejections that you face in your life, that I face in my life, is actually God building an opportunity for us to see and to experience and to invite us into the life that he actually has for us, that he wants us to walk and to have? You see, here's the crazy thing. Rejection might actually be a gift. It might actually be a gift. And as I read the text that we read just a moment ago, where Jesus was appointed in time to be with this man who had a terrible need in life, before we even got to that point for Jesus to do an amazing miracle, we see the key that opened the door to it all. And that key can be found in the word reception. Throughout our journey today, I'm going to be highlighting some key words that I think really kind of navigate us through life to help us to move beyond rejection to see what God really has in store for us, what God is opening us towards. And the first word is that, reception. Jesus was there because the people received him. That's what the text says. That's what the verses say. It's very similar to, the, to what we went through last week with the miracle in, in, Can, in Cana with the, the wedding feast where Jesus turned the water into wine in order for him to be there, to have that opportunity. The Bible first said that he was invited. And just like we mentioned last week, Jesus goes where he is welcomed, where he is invited. And where he is not welcomed, where he is not invited, he won't be there. And there we see this key here that they received him. And the Bible specifically says, it specifically says that he did not remain in Judah. He did not go to his hometown in Nazareth. But instead, he chose to go to Galilee. And within Galilee, he went to Cana. And so how did this miracle take place? Because there they received him. He was invited. And I think we wonder, could it really be that simple? Could it really be that simple? I mean, could it be as simple as, boy, if I just invite God into my marriage, that he might work us through this? Could it be as simple that if I invite God into our church, that he might do something amazing? Could it be as simple as if I just invite God to my Monday through Friday, my nine to five, and what I'm dealing with, that God might do something. In fact, God might have a mission for me then bigger than I could ever imagine, bigger than I could ever see. Could it truly be that simple? For me just to stand before his throne and say, God, I need you here. I need you to lead me today. Could it really be that simple? I'm encouraging you guys, my friends, to try just that. In your marriage, in your home, in your workplace, in your school, whatever your day looks like, start by inviting Jesus into that place. And see what he might want to do in your life. Because he wants to work. And he is working. Back at the text, he didn't go to Nazareth. He did not stay in Judea. To, because to quote Jesus, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. That's what Jesus said. His hometown was Nazareth. 
and Judea. And, and that tended to be the most difficult place for Jesus to minister. The most difficult place for Jesus to reveal his glory. So just let that sink in for just a moment, if you will. The places that had the most access to him, the place that had the most ability to be with Jesus, to see Jesus at work, to experience what he had to have for them in their life, was the most inhospitable place that Jesus found for him to reveal the power and glory that he wanted to showcase. It's not like he didn't try. It's not like he wasn't willing to reveal who he was and what he wanted to give in those cities. He showed up in Nazareth at one point in his journey. And there he was in the synagogue. And the Bible says he grabbed the scroll of Isaiah and he slowly opened up with all the people there quietly anticipating what he was about to read and say. And he read this portion of Isaiah that highlighted the Messiah that was to come. And he rolled it up and he says, Today I am revealing to you, I am the Messiah. My glory is now here. And you know how the people responded? Look at Luke 4.21. It says they got up drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. How did the people of his hometown respond to Jesus? They tried to kill him by throwing him off a cliff. Because I think maybe at that time, in that place, I think maybe they were threatened by him. Maybe you've seen that in your journey too sometimes. You know, they, they, maybe they view themselves as being somehow less than because, you know, almost like I feel smaller. I'm not good enough. And, and we know who Jesus was. I mean, we saw this boy. I mean, he's just Jesus. He's Joseph's boy. He's the one who's building the tables last week in the carpenter shop. And can I just tell you, there's going to be times in your life too. Maybe you've experienced it. When people will try to drag you down, they'll try to pull you down. Because, let's be honest, misery loves company. And there's a lot of misery in our world today. And when you take a hold of your God-given destiny, what God has for you, there's always going to be people who's going to say stuff like, man, you've changed You changed? Like, I knew the Bill who Bill used to be. I know the knucklehead that used to walk those streets that the stupid stuff used to do. I mean, you've changed? And you know what your response should always be? I sure hope so. Because what good has it ever been to always stay the same? I hope I'm changing. And I hope the Bill you see today is not the same bill you see tomorrow because I'm hope I'm constantly changing and growing and experience Jesus more and more. Because if I'm not, I'm missing out on something. And we all are too. You know, and maybe the people there were just feeling a little bit like, ah, yeah. Jesus, we're missing what you want to do now because we're looking too far in the past. And I wonder if we wrestle as people Mankind, just in general. And I wonder if they were wrestling there. That sometimes we get so close to things and we become so familiar that we stop appreciating it. And I wonder if the people who knew Jesus the best, who, who saw him grow up, just knew him, were so familiar with him, there came a wall where they stopped appreciating him. And I wonder how often that happens in our life. 
I mean, think about it. Every day, every day, you walk past miracles. Every single day, you walk past miracles. The fact that we woke up this morning and we're breathing, that our heart is pumping and it's working, that my brain is functioning, that's, well, you can, you can debate that if you want. But that's a miracle. You know, the fact that I'm walking on these two feet and somehow balancing, miracle. Every day when I drive through the neighborhood and seeing the trees changing color and the sun coming up and the birds flocking in the air and all this stuff going on around me that just happens over and over, season after season. Every day is a constant miracle. And I fear that because it's become so familiar to us that we stop appreciating the miracles that are happening every single day all around us. And that's exactly what was going on for Jesus. I think maybe the people in Nazareth stopped appreciating who he was and what he was becoming. We're too familiar with him. We know him. And that's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 6, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He went on from there. And here's a crazy sidebar in this passage that I think we overlook when we read it quickly. We miss something very important in those words that, Jesus, that, was, that was spoken there. You know, I mean, Jesus in Mark chapter 6 was having a bad day in ministry. Don't miss that. I wish my bad day in ministry looked as good as Jesus' bad day. And you think about it. He's like, boy, it was a bad day. All I got here is I'm just healing some sick people, feeding some people who are hungry. And Jesus is showing in that moment the true priority in his mission. The true priority of his focus and what he is trying to run after. You know, the thing that we tend to make the most important thing. Jesus saying, no, 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 no. That's secondary. That's an afterthought. That's not the most priority. I mean, don't get me wrong. Healing the sick and feeding the hungry is important. Don't get me wrong, but Jesus is showing here it's not the most important thing. It's not the main thing. It's not the reason I came here. This is the priority. This is what heaven lights up is that Jesus, who died on the cross, who saved mankind, who then, if you receive him and believe in him and follow him, when you are made new in him, that's the main thing. That's what makes the heavens rejoice. That's what makes the party go on up there on the streets of gold. For Jesus, what equaled success was believing and following him and allowing him to transform your life. That was his purpose. That was the main thing. And so when that did not happen, it was a bad day in ministry for Jesus. Because that was not his main, that was his main thing. And so he turned from Nazareth. And Jesus went on his way to an area known as Samaria. And Samaria was detested by the Jewish people. And there was a lot of hatred and dislike and discord between the people in that area and the Jewish people. And Jesus went there and he encountered this woman at the well and Jesus broke all the cultural norms. 
He went into this town, spent time with his people, and he was actually interacting with a woman. Back then, this was breaking all the cultural norms. And Jesus spoke into her life that day. He transformed her life. In that moment, she saw the glory and the reality of the Messiah himself standing right in front of her. And her life was changed. And she couldn't help it. But from that moment on, to go back to her town and tell everybody about who this man was, what he did in her life. And she began to preach from corner to corner, telling everybody about Jesus. And they were so excited. The Bible then says that Jesus went there, and he spent the next couple of days in that village talking to them about his, who, who he is, how he's going to die for them, how, how new life is found in him. And in that moment, because of this one life that was changed, a revival took place in a city. A revival took place. Lives were being transformed. And that's why at the beginning of the text that we read just a moment ago, that's why the verse says, now after the two days were over, Jesus moved on. See, after that revival, then Jesus moved on. And there he went to Cana. And when he got to Cana, this man from Capernaum came running out to Jesus. And that leads us to the second word, desperation. Because this man came running to Jesus and he was completely desperate because his boy, his son, was lying on his bed back home dying. And this man was in desperation for Jesus. And if you could put a picture within those words, you probably would see this man's face full of desperation because his son is at the point of death. And you know, Jesus throughout his ministry highlighted the reality of death and how death comes to us all. One day we will face it, but before we die inwardly, you know, before we die physically, we die inwardly and we die spiritually. And what Jesus is trying to get to is the reality that to be dead spiritually and then to, to, to die physically is to remain dead perpetually. And that is what God's trying to save us from. He wants to free us from everlasting death. That's the purpose of the cross. And that's what Jesus is highlighting here. He was going to come one day to pay for our sins for all eternity, once and for all. And my friends, we know death is brokenness. Death brings sadness and sorrow and just brokenness in our, on our, in our lives. And that was what was written all over this man's face as he approached Jesus. And he had one request when he came to Jesus. Will you come with me? Jesus, will you just come with me to my home? My, my son needs you. Please come to my home with me. And in, interestingly enough, Jesus' response just blows us away. Because Jesus responds in frustration in that moment with that man's requests. And as soon as this man says, won't you just come with me to my house? Jesus' response says, is that all you guys want? None of you are willing to believe unless you see some razzle-dazzle miracle. Unless I do something amazing, then you'll believe. Then you'll follow me. That's all you want. And I can only imagine if I was there on that, that street corner that day, maybe the disciples were saying the same thing under their breath. Jesus, dude, dude, chill out. Just calm down, Jesus. Like, what's going on? But there's something we see in this next word, frustration. And the frustration of Jesus. I mean, you have to understand the context. 
This man the Bible describes as a nobleman. The Greek actually describes it as the king's man. Many people believe that this man was, worked for King Herod. He was, he was in King Herod's throne room. He was one of his right-hand men, like very important to, and, and a part of it. And, and if you read the Gospels, you quickly learn about this man, Herod, and, and his view of Jesus. Herod's view of Jesus was, this is like a magician. This guy's going out here and doing all these miracles. I want to see the miracles. I, I, want, to see some, I want to see the goods. I want to see this show. Give me the miracle show, Jesus. That's what Herod wanted to see. In fact, you see this play out when Jesus was arrested before he was led, to, led away to be crucified on the cross. They brought him to Herod, and Herod was all excited. Now I get to see the magic man. I get to see this, this magician show his work. But my friends, Jesus didn't come to put on some great magic show. He came for something more significant. And he realized Herod didn't love Jesus. All he wanted was the miracles. All he wanted was the show. And so in this moment, this man comes to him to do something. And Jesus was responding to the sentiment, the popular sentiment of that day and age that put Jesus on this man's radar. And you guys just want to see a miracle. It's all you want. You don't actually want me. You want what I do for you. And I think we all wrestle with that, don't we? Do we really want Jesus? Or we just want what we feel Jesus does for us? There's a difference between the two. And that's what Jesus was dealing with in this moment. And this man could have easily responded by walking away. You know, Jesus... I can find somebody else. I can find somebody else to take care of my boy. I don't need you. I don't need your medicine. I don't need your stuff. I'll find somebody else to do the job. And Jesus was kind of giving this guy an opportunity. And here's the hard part, I think, in the story that we, as mankind, wrestle with throughout the history of, of, of people. A lot of times as you read the Gospels, Jesus works through offending people. And we don't like that. And can I just be honest? I think we really struggle in our day and age with being offended. We don't like to be offended. But a lot of times God works, Jesus works through being offending people because he's going right towards the heart of where their heart is really at. And he's dealing with it. He's getting to the core. And a lot of times when we get offended, it might be showcasing, oh, there's something in my heart that maybe was hidden that I need to work through, that I need to deal with, that I need to figure out. You know, Jesus came with a big agenda to make him the priority. This man could have walked away, but he didn't. You know, Jesus is kind of giving him an opportunity here through being offended. Because here's the struggle. God's message from a worldly perspective is always bitter on the outside. But once you break through the bitterness of our view from a worldly perspective, it is so sweet on the inside. Unlike sin, the devil gets us because sin looks so sweet on the outside. It looks so good. 
But once you get chomping at it, you realize, boy, it's kind of bitter on the inside. And there's destruction in there. And in this moment, through being offended, I think Jesus is ultimately giving us the opportunity to choose. Is it him or is it what my heart is trying to chase? And that's what Jesus is giving this guy this opportunity right now. Do you really want me or are you going to keep chasing your heart? Which will you choose? And this man doubled down. And he says, Jesus, come with me. I need you. Come to my house. And the Greek word changes there. The Greek words comes to, my son needs you to, she's my baby boy. This is my baby boy. I need you to come help my baby boy. And that's his request. Will you just come with me? And Jesus responds from that moment on, go home. Your boy's fine. And that moment, that man had to make a choice. What am I going to believe? Because the man's request was, Jesus, come with me. Come into my home. Come put your hands on my son. You know, be there physically and heal him. And Jesus said, no, you go home. He's fine. Your boy lives. You know what this moment showed? A moment of rejection, which is our next word. Jesus rejected what was his request, what he was asking for, what he was begging for, giving him something that he did not ask for. Just go home. Your boy's going to be fine. And amazingly enough, we see through his response our next important word, and that is submission. This man submitted and yielded. And he did exactly what Jesus did, and he walked back home. Long journey home. From Cana to Capernaum, it's 22 miles. This man already walked 22 miles from Capernaum to Canaan to get to Jesus. And now with this moment of rejection, I got to believe you, Jesus. He's turning back around and walking another 22 miles to get back home. 22 miles to process. Okay, was that worthless? I mean, can I trust Jesus? Is he really going to do anything? I mean, was that worth my time and my effort? And that's a long walk home. In fact, it took him into the night and he had to find somewhere to sleep. And he went back, woke up the next day to walk the rest of the way. And we know that because the Bible says when he got back home the next day, his servants came out. And when he, came, when he got home and the servants came out, they came out yelling, Master, your boy lives. He lives. I cannot believe it, but he lives. And he goes, well, when, when, when did that happen? And he said, yesterday, his fever broke at 1 p.m. And the man's like, 1 p.m., let me look at, let me figure this out. That, guys, that's when Jesus, that's the exact time when Jesus said, your boy lives. That's the exact time he said he's going to be fine. That's the exact moment. And I didn't realize that until I walked 22 miles to get home. This 22-mile miracle to on the way home of believing and trusting and maybe grumbling at some points to get to this point to realize that Jesus saved my son. He walked in faith. 
all the way back home. And he showed us something through the second miracle, the second sign that we must believe without seeing. But I like it the other way around. I don't know about you. I prefer Jesus to show up and give it to me, then I'll believe in you. But God never works that way. He says, uh-uh. I want you to trust me enough to walk back home for 22 miles all night long. You're going to have trouble sleeping tonight because you just don't know yet how it's all going to unfold. But will you trust me enough at that sleepless night and that long walk that I've got you? That I am going to come through. And in this moment, this man realized something. God had a bigger miracle that took place. Did you catch it in the story? Once that moment happened, this man and his whole household believed and chose to follow Jesus. At that moment, their lives were transformed, which really gives us the most important miracle, and that's salvation. That's salvation. This man got to see the greatest miracle of all, the one that he did not ask for, but the one when he saw God come through. He and his whole household needed Jesus. That's the miracle that we should be praying for, my friends. That our whole household hold would be saved. Jesus, may my whole household be saved. I mean, if my child does good in sports or not, if they do good in school or not, if they get all the scholarships or not, if they get into college or not, Nothing matters unless they know Jesus, unless they are saved. Because then their kingdom is forever in his kingdom. It's not about their GPA. It's not about how great they are on the field. May they ever be people that grow up to know, to love, and to follow Jesus. That was the greatest miracle. That's what it was all about. And he did not know it, and we did not realize it until we walked through the gift of rejection to see that there's something bigger for us. And my hope is that through the end of this story that we will see something and have something that this man got a glimpse of, that our faith will be driven by 2020 vision. You know, 2020 vision is where we have the opportunity to look back and see what we could not see in that moment when we were being rejected, when we felt like life was beating us down, when we felt like nothing was going our way, in that moment, may we be able to look back and see, hey, it was right in that moment when God spoke and we got to experience him. When he opened up the doors to the reality that all that other stuff was secondary to my life in him. You know, going back to the moon landing story, there's a third guy who was on that, that, that trip. His name was Michael Collins. He was the third crew member of the Apollo 11. And unfortunately, within our history books and through our knowledge of the story, most of us don't really even remember that name. We don't recall him. And you know what's amazing about that story? Is Michael Collins was on the lunar ship orbiting the moon while while Neil Armstrong first walked on the moon. 
And while the whole world, billions and billions of people, all were fascinated on their TV screens, watching this take place for the history books, listening to Neil's words, this is one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. There's one person who couldn't see it or hear it, and his name was Michael Collins. Because while that was taking place, he was up and orbiting the moon. And he was on the other side of the moon in total blackout. Think about it. The man who was closest to it all didn't get to see it all. And the crazy thing, he was never supposed to be on that mission in the first place. He was originally scheduled to be on the Apollo 8. The Apollo 8 was the first one to go up there and actually orbit the moon for the very first time. And Michael Collins was supposed to be on that crew. But he had a medical issue. Something happened within his spine when his legs began to go numb. And he had this degenerative issue with his spine that required surgery. And if he didn't do it, he was going to be, he was going to be grounded. The, the, the Air Force would never take him back. NASA would never take it back. He had to make this decision, which meant... I'm not going on this mission. And in that moment, he felt complete rejection. His words were, I got dropped. Dropped like a hot potato. Because of this now medical issue. He felt like he missed it all. What could have been the greatest opportunity of his life. He had the surgery and everything went well. And a short time later, he was called to Apollo 11. That became one of the greatest missions in, the, in NASA history. That is in the history books forever. Rejection opened the doors to something significant. And we see it all throughout history, don't we? Person after person that we see in our history books, that we see in the Bible, that we see in our own lives, that over and over again, they were moments in their life when it was complete rejection, when they felt like I just missed what was my biggest moment in life, only to find out, whoa, that led me to this. And there's something bigger and better here. And that's what Jesus is trying to show through the story. You see, the point is, my friends, in your life, it's hard when you, when, for you to see it. It's hard for us to see it when we're walking through it. It's hard for us to face it. But I dare you to believe. I dare you to believe in the name of Jesus. I dare you to believe in the reality and the glory of Jesus, the Son of the living God. That in those moments where you feel most rejected, in those moments when you feel like everything you thought your life was about is the, all the doors are now closing, in that moment when you think your life is crashing down and everybody's looking the other way, in that moment I am challenging you to believe enough in the name of Jesus that he's got something better for you, something bigger for you than you could ever imagine. If you will just walk the 22 miles and trust him enough and see what he has in store for you. He wants to change your life. He wants to save your household. Will you dream a little bigger? Will you walk with him? Will you trust him enough? Will you just believe? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Because I know for me, so often in my life, I get so short-sighted on what are temporal goals. 
things that I think are so important, but to be honest, they just come and go. Maybe it's my grades or this job uh, situation or whatever it may be. But Lord God, may the ultimate goal be realized in a life with you, in you transforming our lives. Lord, when we get rejected, it's so easy to feel beaten down and broken. But may we find the power through your glory. Lord, I pray that we may believe in you enough to walk those 22 miles, whatever that is for our life, to trust you that through our journey of rejection, through our journey of being beaten down by life, you have something bigger for us if we, ch- if we just chase you. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to trust. Help us to walk. And may you save our homes. It's in your name we pray. Amen.